Drinking during COVID isolation? That's not happening, is it? A wine club for those who share a passion for delicious wine is open with ties to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. It's Patron Saint Wines. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Leslie Parison. She's a writer, editor, and co-owner of Patron Saint Wine Shop, soon to be open in New Orleans. Welcome. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks for having me, Liz. So tell me, Leslie, how is it that you got into wine and decided to open a wine shop? Um, That's a long story, but the short story is that I co-founded a publication with one of my best friends, Talia Baiocchi, when I lived back in New York um, called Punch. And the whole point of Punch was to bring together the worlds of cocktails, spirits, and wine in one place. And Talia was the wine person and I was the cocktails person. So we spent many years putting this publication together, you know, getting it off the ground. We founded it with Penguin Random House back in 2013. And I think probably by hanging out with Talia and enough wine people and drinking enough wine, (laughs) it just sort of was osmosis. And I too became a wine person. (laughs) And so you hadn't been a wine person before, just a cocktail person? Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I wasn't even really a cocktail person. I moved to New York to be a journalist and I ended up working with the Momofuku group as a server because that's what you do when you're trying to be a writer in New York. And we had a great wine program there. This is back in, must be 2008, 2009 and a great cocktail program, which was relatively new, this idea of putting a full cocktail program in a restaurant at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to stand at the door, I was a host, and I I got to stand with this wonderful person, Don Lee, who comes to New Orleans often for Tales of the Cocktail, and he would just talk to me all night about cocktails. And um, and so I, I ended up, you know, drinking enough cocktails to be interested like wine, and just knew enough. It wasn't really a field that people wrote in at the time, except for, of course, like, you know, the old school people like Dave Wondrich and Paul Clark. And because I knew enough, I guess that qualified me to start writing about them. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you transitioned to wine or did you, did you leave cocktails and bring, just start to want do wine or do you like both now? Oh, I mean, I love both. It's, it's, you know, I think it, in, in just being an editorial world and, and being a, a very small team of two for the first part of, of Punch, um, you necessarily just had to sort of, you know, start learning about both. And I, um, I mean, part of the great pleasure of being a journalist is, you know, you call up all of these people who are making wines and writing cocktail books and writing cocktail menus and running bars, and you just talk to them and you soak up all the knowledge that they have. 
Um, to be really honest with you, I, until relatively recently, had a hard time saying that I was a wine person because I think it's a field that there, it feels like there's a lot of barrier to entry. There's so much knowledge and there is, you know, this sort of atmosphere of seriousness and like a bit of mystique and lots of big foreign words. And I still feel like I have all of these blind spots in wine. Um, so that's all to say, I still feel like I'm not entirely like two feet in wine world. I'm, I have a stack of books that I'm constantly reading through. I have no formal education. I've never taken a W set. Um, w set is for non-wine people is, you know, sort of the formal education process that you go through there four levels until you can become, I think there's four. Ooh, don't call me on that. I don't even know. Until you become there are a number of levels. Yes. <laughs> yes. Until you become, you know, at the sort of top of your field. Um, so I, you know, it's funny. I actually don't even, I, I don't even spend that much time in wine or cocktail world anymore. I've got a handful of other jobs, but this is a very long way of saying that one of those jobs is opening a wine shop. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about putting that together. Yeah. So Tony, my my partner in life and in business, um, we moved here about a, a little over two years ago. We were living in New York. He'd been there for 18 years as a television director and producer. I was there as a journalist and editor for 12 years. And when we moved here, we knew that we were both going to carry on with that work, but that there were new possibilities because you know, we, we weren't hemmed in by the sort of structures of a very expensive place that, um, you know, you, you have to have a lot of red tape and investors to sort of get through. And so we finally let ourselves think about like, if we opened a business, what, what could this look like? Um, and I, I, you know, have wanted to, to sort of think about retail in some way that fit into a community and, you know, became part of a community for a long time. And because I, I had, I knew, I knew drinks world wine seemed like a pretty great option. Um, <laughs> so we had this great opportunity, um, you know, right as the pandemic was sort of easing up last year in March to, to try it out with a pop-up. Um, and the team from Coquette was very kind and let us uh, take over part of their space in a restaurant that used to be called Thalia and is now called Lengua Madre. And so we bought 800 bottles of wine and put them on two, uh, two steel shelves. And uh, the team from Coquette had some, had some great food on a little menu. And the folks from this wonderful ice cream outfit called Lucy Boone had an ice cream case and we opened the doors and tried it out. <laughs> and luckily it did really well. I think it was at this moment when New Orleans was opening back up it's, um, if you know that space, it's embedded in a neighborhood, it's very residential. And um, all, it was all seating outdoors and you could sort of come and go as you pleased and grab a bottle of wine, grab a glass of wine and sit outside and talk with your neighbors. Um, and it was wonderful proof of concept to understand that this was something the neighborhood really liked. And um, we really liked the neighborhood. 
And um, from there, you know, we we were very fortunate to have a great relationship with the uh, the people from Merchant House, this wonderful collective of antiques and vintage vendors on uh, Magazine Street. And they have a warehouse where they're opening um, new retail spaces. So we are teaming up um, and we are opening a wine shop in a space adjacent to Merchant House very soon, hopefully. And so how did you decide to partner with the Southern Food and Beverage Museum? Oh, great question. Um, so Brent Rosen, who is the president of Southern Food and Beverage Museum, is a good friend. I, you know, I think many people in the community can count him as a good friend. He knows everybody. And you all are so generous with um, your time and space there. And so uh, I, I was chatting with him, telling him that I, I really wanted to sort of try to figure out how to get a wine subscription off the ground before the shop opened. And he said, well, we have a, we have a license that you can sell, you know, wine and, and that sort of thing with, if you want to, if you want to come in and try it out. And so we did, and it's going really well. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you might keep a satellite at the, at the museum? Oh man, that's a really good question. You know, I think that anything's possible. We're partnering with a, a couple of people. I can't say who yet to work with them on wine menus, but it's something that we we love about the city is the collaborative nature. You know, being able to say like, "Hey, do you want to you want to try a pop up? Do you want to you know write a wine menu?" I know that you all have Bronwyn from Bayou Saint Cake in there right now, and the ladies from Luncheon. And we've only been in there for probably, you know, a month together, and we already have a handful of projects in the works together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that that I, I really love about SoFab is I feel like we're sort of a community hub that makes things possible. And sometimes just that physical proximity is all it takes to make ideas start to bubble, you know? That's right. And that's like, I mean, that's New Orleans too. It's just, this place has an alchemy about it that I think is, is really special. And, you know, it's, it's not crazy to have an idea. And then the next week, the, the idea is already manifesting in some format. And I think there are so many creative people here and so many people who um, have the mindset where it's like, let's just try it that, you know, we end up with this incredibly vibrant economy of pop-ups and, you know, temporary things that turn into permanent things and come and go. And it's, it's beautiful. Well, I mean, what you're doing is reminding me of when we started the Southern Food and Beverage Museum back in 2008 is when we opened. And it was just kind of something that we decided to do on our kitchen table, you know, and that And then you just sort of say, okay, well, let's just do it. You know, there's not the idea of building a museum where, well, we have to raise $45 million. And then once we have that, then we'll be able to do this and that. We just said, let's just get it open and see what happens, you know? (laughs) So yes, I totally understand what you're talking about. And I'm sure that in a place like New York, that would have simply been impossible. 
I was just thinking that you have to have so many things in place. I mean, New York's an amazing place. It's, it's, you know, it's an incredibly special city, but it does require a lot of forethought and a, a lot of people to sign off on lots of pieces of paper for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. And then one of the most delightful things about New Orleans is, you know, you actually can have a drink and walk around in the museum and things that you can't do everywhere. And there's something very special about having a museum where you can have a drink and literally walk around the museum with it. I mean, that's pretty nice. And we also don't have, we don't have a no red wine rule. And uh, that, you know, that's very liberating. I did not realize that. That's very smart. Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't even considered that you that red wine could be a problem, obviously. <laughs> but you know, a lot of museums, even if they let people in for a reception of some sort or whatever, do have a no red wine rule. And uh, that was one of the first things that we established. No, we're not going to have that rule. <laughs> I like that. Laissez faire. Right. And so do you have any other kinds of things that are kind of in the works in the back of your brain, anything like that for your, your entrepreneurial spirit in New Orleans? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so the wine shop is, um, we're looking sometime toward fall uh, for an opening. And um, when it opens, you know, I don't know if it'll be possible to recreate the spirit um, exactly of that pop-up. It was really kind of a magical corner, but we are only two blocks from it. And one of the special things, as you were saying about New Orleans, is that you can, you know, you can have a wine retail shop and you can have a bar embedded inside of it and people can come sit down and grab a bottle to go or to stay. So it's, it's sort of a hybrid space. Um, and I think what we're what we're really excited about is one getting back into the neighborhood and, you know, getting to hang out with all of our regular patrons and invite them into the space and have it become a place for regulars. But we really do want it to be, um, you know, part of the, part of the larger community. I, I think that we, I, I can't like, quite articulate yet what it is we're, we're going to do, but the, um, we have a lot of ties to charities and giving back, um, and sort of, you know, equitable community programs that we're, we're partnering with. Um, but I think like the, the point is, is that a wine shop can be a whole lot more than just a place that sells wine. It's a place for, you know, it's, it's like a Petri dish of, of, uh, you know, a place where you can share ideas, where people from the community are coming together. We would love to incubate pop-ups. Yeah. I mean, we've like, like all New Orleans, New Orleanians, we have a dozen ideas a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I can, I can just, I can just imagine. And so what made you come to New Orleans? So the first time I came here as an adult, um, I must have been 21. Um, I was living in Miami at the time. I worked in the art world. And it was, God, it must have been 2007. My partner at the time worked with an urban planning firm that was doing post-Katrina urban planning reconstruction. And um, I spent probably a week wandering around the city by myself. It was so damn hot. and I, I carried a camera at the time I carried it everywhere and I kind of just wandered around and it was the first place that I had been as an adult 
that wasn't dictated by either where I was going to school or, you know, somebody else's schedule. And, um, I don't know, like anybody who comes to this place for the first time and it gets inside of you, you can't forget about it. Um, so I came back at least once a year, uh, sometimes two or three times a year until I moved here. And my partner, Tony was able to do a, some, some work down here. He'd done a couple commercials and we came together and I think the seed got planted in his mind too. Like if we left New York, where would we go? There are really few places. I feel like you move to like the middle of nowhere or you move to New Orleans. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think we were both so attracted to it and we just, you know, it was, it was once the seed gets planted, it's like, it's like one of those big old live oaks. It's just like, it's in there. It's not going away. <laughs> So let's get, let's get back to patron saint wine. So tell me, uh, where does the name come from? Tell me how you pick your wines. Tell me all of that. The name is, it's funny. I, I used to do uh, branding work for a firm in New York and I did a lot of naming. I named a lot of random things. And so I have this list. I still keep it of, of names um, just in case you never know when you need a good name. That's right. And I never gave it to them because I liked it so much. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a very Catholic family. I no longer practice, but um, I remember getting, you know, when you would go to a funeral or a second, a, a first communion or like a, you know, some sort of church event, they give you those little patron saint cards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um what I imagined as a little girl, my first, my first imaginings of a career was that I would be a saint. <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> I think I was so enamored by these. You get paid to be a saint. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think I was so enamored with this idea of, you know, sort of like this mystical quality and you get these, you know, messages from on high. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> But I've always like, I've always really loved the iconography of saints. Um, I studied art and I think like I, I'm really attracted to religious iconography and sort of like all of the symbols and signals that go into those, into those works. Um, so anyways, that's where the name sort of comes from. And obviously landing in New Orleans, I'd held onto this name forever. It seemed perfect. Like it's the city of saints, right? <laughs> um on the oh for sure <laughs> on the wine side of things I have a really particular framework that I buy wine in and um a lot of people use sort of the terminology natural wine I I don't necessarily because I think that it's a term that is um it can it can sort of like be flexed to mean lots of things but generally like that term in my mind means that it's like low intervention, minimalist inputs, minimalist outputs wines. That means that these are wines that are made by people with very little input or output, meaning no chemicals, you know, very little sulfur. If there is any, the farming is all completely either practicing organic or something way beyond that biodynamic, perhaps, you know, some of these farmers have like incredible growing systems that they've been using for 500 years. Um, and it's, it's really about wine in its most pure sense, um, as an agricultural product. 
So I like, you know, ask, I ask lots and lots of questions before I buy a wine. Um, I talk to a lot of winemakers. Um, and I mean, I think you, you know, one of the cool things when you, when you start to like get into this and I guess become a quote unquote wine person is that you realize it's a really small world and everybody kind of knows everybody. And so it's really easy to find like a farmer and call them, you know, granted they're not like picking grapes that day or pressing grapes and ask them questions and they're obsessed and they'll answer anything you want to, as long as you speak the same language. And so what languages are you talking to them in? I, um, I, I mean, it's great if it's English, but I do have a working knowledge of French. So I can sort of, you know, I can sort of go between, um, and I've been fortunate enough to take some trips to, to France, to be able to, to go explore wine there. And so I can, I can get around. I'm not fluent by any means. And, and so mostly are you actually on the spot at the vineyard tasting the wines? Or are you doing it in New Orleans through, through reps of one sort or another? Oh man, if only, um, yeah, unfortunately COVID has put a dent into wine travel, but we are really lucky in New Orleans to have such a good wine community and so many people who, um, who have forged like, you know, retail and obviously great restaurant wine lists. Um, we have wonderful reps, um, from a, from a handful of distributors that come in and, um, you know, bring wines every week and talk to you about all of those things and answer all of the questions. They're wonderful. So have you decided whether you're going to carry fortified wines? Ooh, well, I think a handful. So I, I really love Sherry a lot. My, um, my, my friend and the co-founder of Punch, Talia Bayoki, wrote a wonderful book about Sherry. And so I was fortunate enough while she was writing it to drink a lot of Sherry with her. I don't know as much about Madeira and Port. I would love to. I know we get some great stuff in the city. Um, and I love, you know, Amaro and Vermouth. So there will definitely be a handful of those too. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Madeira fan. Uh, Are you I really do like Madeira? Yes. And uh, have been lucky enough to, to taste some really wonderful Madeiras. We had a Madeira dinner about four years ago, I would say. And, um, wonderfully generous collectors donated wines to us and every meal every course of the meal was some very special Madeira and there's so many people who care about this so we had people fly in from parts all parts of the world to come to this dinner because we had 19th century Madeiras that were being opened and we could have had so many people but of course you know if you if there is only one bottle of Madeira from 1882 or whatever the year was, I can't remember now. Obviously, you can't just have a hundred people because you can't give a hundred people a drink from the one bottle. So we were limited as to how big the the dinner could be. So it was very intimate, and everyone talked about the Madeira that they had donated and all of that. I mean, it was just fabulous, just a fabulous dinner, and so. I've been to a number of those types of dinners and learned a lot about Madeira and tasted many Madeira. And I, I found it to be something that I really, I really like. Um, not just is it fun because it's like kind of, it's kind of nerdy, but also um, it's, it's just delicious. 
So it is delicious. And it is, it's such a romantic drink. I mean, yes. Yes. I think yeah. I, I know enough to know the story behind it and, you know, the, the sort of this, this wonderful Island that on, the only place that you can get these things from and the ships, I mean, it's, it's a really magical thing. It is. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You'll, I'll have to learn more from you. We'll have to drink Madeira together. Okay. Okay. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds really good. And I, I learned about the different port cities because they used it as ballast. And so there would be one, they would actually decide, okay, this is going to be the, the first port where we stop. And so they kind of developed that style for that particular seaport. And then it takes so much longer to get to the next port. And so it's changed in that period. And so the people at that port be developed the taste for that style. And it just, you know, it's just amazing. Um, and there was the one that was really popular in New Orleans because we were such a big port. And just all of that is just, just part of the the magic of the whole thing, the whole it's, story it's of it. Very cool. Travel built into one bottle. Yes. And well, and journey. So, and it's so lovely that it actually improves with the travel because so much wine doesn't. <laughs> yes, that's right. And that's actually, that's one of the tough things about the kinds of wines that we, we work with too, is that, I mean, they're, you know, these things are alive, they're fragile. It's like, imagine trying to send, you know, a, a peach from Georgia to, I don't know, the Rhone. It's, it's not an easy task. Right. Yes. Yes. I oh, know. It's really true. I, I, I taught some classes in how to make vinegar at home because on my mother's side, uh, everybody was Sicilian. And so you didn't waste wine. If you didn't drink it all, it turned into vinegar. And so you were like, you didn't finish that glass, that glass went into the vinegar flask. And uh, my grandfather always said, listen, anybody can make vinegar. The wine wants to be vinegar, you know? And I, I think that's really true. <laughs> it does. Oh, that's so smart. I love that. I love an efficient second use. I was actually just, um, our wine club. Oh, shameless plug. We have a wine club that you can pick up at Southern Food and Beverage Museum. If you go to patronsaintwine.com, you can sign up for it. But I was just writing the sort of stories behind some of the, the wines for this month's wine club. And one of them is a piquette, which is essentially a, it's, it's when you take the, the pulpy sort of leftover grapes after they've been pressed you add water to it and perhaps like something like a fermentable sugar of some sort. And um, you you let it macerate and then you sort of get this second wine, which is much lower on, in alcohol. It's an old French style. Um, and a lot of people don't even call it wine. I mean, that's why it's called Piquette. But there's something really wonderful thinking about vinegar to the efficiency of, of wine and these sorts of things, they want to, they want to be another thing and they, they want to use themselves entirely up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and if you think of it that way, you're just letting it become what it wants to be. And then you can make it and pour it on your wonderful New Orleans tomatoes and a little bit of salt, and that's pretty wonderful. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm looking forward to tomato season. <laughs> oh, yes. And 
I found that if you use, you know, people talk about tomato sandwiches. This is, this has nothing to do with wine really, but <laughs> tomato sandwiches. And they talk about how it has to be white bread and that squishy white bread and mayonnaise and tomatoes. But if you take some New Orleans French bread and you sprinkle a little bit of, of olive oil and vinegar on the bread, and then you put your mayonnaise and your tomato with salt on it. That is really, I don't know, you can always, you know, add your bacon, add all the other things, but just leaving that off, it really elevates that sandwich. It's a very, very excellent um, tomato sandwich. I love that idea. Do you toast the bread? It depends on how fresh it is. If it's mm. really, really fresh, kind of almost just out of the oven, no. Um, but I would toast it if it weren't. Yes. And Liz, where do you get your, your New Orleans French bread? I like Leidenheimer's. I think that's really, really good. And that's, you know, it's got the proper squish to it. You know, when you, when you want it to be soaking up all the juices and everything, uh, and yet the outside is crispy enough that it holds together, which I can't say the same for squishy white bread, white sliced bread. You know, it does, once it gets wet, it falls apart, but your po' boy, your po' boy bread doesn't, it, it stays together. So it can drip down your, to your elbows while you're eating it and it still stays together. Oh, that sounds <laughs> fabulous. If you pair that with a glass of, of some sort of fizzy pet nat, Oh yeah, that would, that would be <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> well, Leslie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Liz. It's a pleasure. Okay, so then okay. I'll edit this off. You know, okay. <laughs> I kind of leave a little space of dead air so that I can find it easily when I'm um, editing. But thank you. This was fun. Oh, I enjoyed yes. it a lot. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So it'll be two weeks, maybe three, and, and then um, it'll, it'll drop. And okay. I will uh, send you a link and then you can oh. do whatever you want with it. Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. It's good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. I'll be in the museum tomorrow for wine pickup. So I'll see you there. Oh, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, great. Okay. Bye, Liz. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.